Thank you for downloading this sermon from Christ the Word Church. If you would like more information on how Christ the Word is reaching, raising, and teaching generations in Northwest Ohio and Southeast Michigan, please visit us online at ChristTheWord.com. Inasmuch as they have come under the shelter of my roof, but they said, stand aside. Furthermore, they said, this one came in as an alien, and already he is acting like a judge. Now we will treat you worse than them. So they pressed hard against Lot and came near to break the door. But the men reached out their hands and brought Lot out into the house with them and shut the door. They struck the men who were at the doorway of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they wearied themselves trying to find the doorway. Then the two men said to Lot, Whom else have you here? A son-in-law, your sons, your daughters, whomever you have in the city, bring them out of the place, for we are about to destroy this place, because their outcry has become so great before the Lord that the Lord has sent us to destroy it. Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law, who were to marry his daughters, and said, Up, get out of this place, for the Lord will destroy the city. But he appeared to his sons-in-law to be jesting. When morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or you will be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he hesitated. So the men seized his hand and the hand of his wife and the hand of his two daughters, for the compassion of the Lord was upon him. And they brought him out and put him outside the city. When they had brought him outside, one said, Escape for your life. Do not look behind you. Do not stay anywhere in the valley. Escape to the mountains, or you will be swept away. But Lot said to them, O oh no, my lords. Now behold, your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have magnified your loving kindness, which you have shown me by saving my life. But I cannot escape to the mountains, for the disaster will overtake me, and I will die. Now behold, this town is near enough to flee to, and it is small. Please let me escape there. Is it not small that my life might be saved? He said to him, Behold, I grant you this request also, not to overthrow the town of which you have spoken. Hurry, escape there, for I cannot do anything until you arrive there. Therefore the name of the town was called Zoar. The sun had risen over the earth when Lot came to Zoar. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. He overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the city and what grew on the ground. But his wife from behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. Now Abraham arose early in the morning and went to the place where he had stood before the Lord. And he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley and he saw, and behold, the smoke of the land ascended like the smoke of a furnace. Thus it came about when God destroyed the cities of the valley that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot lived. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we've read your word. Your word is truth. We ask now, Lord, that through your spirit, 
by your spirit, you would speak to us in our hearts and our minds, that your truth would come to us in its power, that it would, Lord, drive out sin, that it would create faith, and that you, through your word, Lord, would cause us to love you more and to be more useful to you in doing your will. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Well, listen, I can only imagine that perhaps um, just a couple days after Christmas, uh, a sermon on the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah might not, you know, Christmas has passed, but it's just two days past, and I came and I thought, well, you know, should I do something that's um, incarnation-related? That wouldn't be wrong. It's near to Christmas. But the wind wasn't in my sails in regard to that, if you might hear that reverently. It's never wrong to think about the incarnation and Jesus and why he came. But I thought about this passage, which I've actually done many times in my Christian life, because it is to me such a beautiful picture of salvation. And I use the word beautiful on purpose because quite actually, in this narrative, I think, is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. Now, you might be going, destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, beautiful. I'm not, I'm not tracking. What do you see in this is, that is beautiful? Well, there are two ways I might go about this. I might tell you what it is that, that looks beautiful to me and then spend the rest of the time elaborating on it. But I don't, I don't want to go about things that way. Actually, what I would like to do is have you and me take a journey toward this beautiful sight, trusting that when we then behold it, God will make it beautiful to you. So let me just say this much, that this, this beautiful sight is connected to Lot and his hesitation to leave Sodom. So we have to begin thinking about Lot and what do we say of him? He, he is a, he's a difficulty isn't he? Uh, so many things are said about Lot in sermons. I, for myself, I always have to bring myself to what I think is the ultimate thing we have to think about Lot, and that's something that Peter tells us in 2 Peter chapter 7 when he says this, speaking of God, for if he rescued righteous Lot, oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men, for by what he saw and heard, that righteous man, while living among them, felt his righteous soul tormented day and night by their lawless deeds. And so in just in the span of two verses, God refers to Lot as righteous three times. And so this is where I have to land with Lot. I have to say, no matter what else I'm told, whatever else I, you know, I read of him and it concerns me and troubles me, God speaks of Lot being righteous three times. So I land there. But with that said, he is a difficulty. And even his uh, living in Sodom is of itself, it's, it's concerning, at least it is to me. And if you would look back a bit in Genesis to chapter 13, you get the background of how it is that Lot ends up in Sodom. The Bible tells us that is Abraham prospered and increased in numbers. Lot also 
prospered and increased in numbers, certainly because of his attachment to his uncle. The blessing of God was upon him. And it turns out that the, the land just can't support them all, and their, their servants begin to squabble and to argue. This is Genesis chapter 13. And in verse 8, the Bible tells us that Abram said to Lot, Please let there be no strife between you and me, nor between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brothers. Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. And if to the left I will go to the right, or if to the right, then I will go to the left. Lot lifted up his eyes and saw all the valley of the Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt as you go to Zoar. So Lot chose for himself all the valley of the Jordan, and Lot journeyed eastward. Thus they separated from each other. Abraham settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled in the cities of the valley and moved his tents as far as Sodom. So yeah, I read this and... I think of Lot, this isn't right. Here, his uncle Abram says to him, makes the offer, you choose where you go, and, and wherever you chose to go, then I'll go somewhere else. And I read that, and I think, Lot, this isn't right. You should have deferred to your uncle, primarily because he's Abram. He's the one who God has made the, the covenant with or is soon about to make the covenant with. You should defer to him because he's your uncle and he's older. Lot, you just said, you should have said, no, uncle. Um, you're, you're my uncle. You choose where you want to go, and then I'll go wherever you don't go. He should have deferred to his uncle because his uncle was older and wiser. And in this, I mean, Lot shouldn't have been so quick to think that if he thought it was a good idea to head east, that it was a good idea to head east. He might have said, Uncle, what, what do you think I should do? What, what counsel do you have for me? And let me, if I can, just say as I look out about me and see so many young adults and children, I rejoice that God has filled this church with young people, but young people... I have a question for you this morning, and here's my question. Have you come to see in the adults that God has placed over you and around you in your life his kindness to you? Do you in your youthfulness understand a bit about yourself that you don't know as much is those who are not only older in you in age, but who have been walking with God longer than you have? Do you, do you see the gift God has given to you in parents and in those who might lead your youth group or the elders of your church? Do you, do you ever see the need to come to your parents and others and say, um, what do you think I should do? And, and to take their counsel to you is God's will. And to check yourself and to not assume that because you see something with your eyes and think it in your mind and think that it's a good idea, that it's a good idea. I think Lot would have been wise to do this, but, 
but he doesn't. The Bible tells us he lifted up his eyes. He saw the valley of the Jordan. It's well watered everywhere. It's like the garden of the Lord. And he sees, um, sees what could only be good for him in a certain way. And instead of deferring to his uncle, instead of understanding his rightful place as the nephew and saying, no, uncle, it is for you to choose where you want to go and I will go wherever you don't go. He doesn't. He moves east and he pitches his tent in Sodom. Now, Abraham, I'm, I'm having us think about Lot, but I do just quickly want you and me to consider Abraham by contrast. That he didn't assert his right as older and uncle and, and the one called of God. He, he actually deferred, he, he offered you, you choose and I'll go somewhere else. He could have said, I am older. I am the patriarch. And there is this humility that God creates in those that he sends his grace to that causes them to understand that they don't always know what is best. Do you think that Abram didn't look out and see the land that was around him? Did he not see the land that was as beautiful as the garden of the Lord? Why didn't he not just say, I'm taking that. Lot, you can just be glad you have any attachment to me whatsoever. You, you, you can go where I don't go. And it seems that Abram was willing, what he really wanted was for God to make his will known via Lot's choice. That he didn't assume that he knew what was best in the way that he, as it were, found out what God wanted for him was to give the choice to someone else. And I just want to quickly have you see with me from Genesis 13 the reward of God to Abraham for this. If you look at verses 14 through 17, right on the heels of Lot saying, I want that land, I'll take it. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot separated from him, now lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, westward, for all the land which you see, I will give it to you and to your descendants forever. I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth so that anyone can number the dust of the earth, then your descendants can also be numbered. Arise, walk about the land through its length and breadth, I will give it to you. And so through his, his willingness, as it were, to set aside his right and let God choose for him by a lot, he gets what he didn't ask for. It's, it's almost like Solomon, who when he asked for the right thing, God says, I'm going to give you things you didn't ask for. And because Abraham didn't say, I want what's east, God says, I'm going to give you east, north, south, west, and it all. So off Lot goes. If you'd flip over, if you're in chapter 13, come to chapter 14, and you and I quickly see that um, Lot's choice for whatever gains or benefit it might have brought him in terms of the land itself, and there's immediately some evil things that happen, the war between the, the kings. This is Genesis chapter 14, verses 8 through 12. And just to summarize, at the conclusion of this battle, we're told that the kings who conquered took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah, all their food supply, they departed. They also took Lot, Abram's nephew, and his possessions and departed, for he was living in Sodom. 
And so now you and I could quickly say, well, Lot, that's what you get. See, you're, 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 you're thinking in this way that's driven by your vision and what your eyes can see. You don't, you don't look to your uncle for counsel. You don't uh, think perhaps that maybe what you think could be wrong. You took what you wanted. Now look what you got. Now you've been taken captive. So let me just ask you, folks, I'm painting this picture in regard to Lot for a reason. I want to know if um, you might quickly get on the, the train, the fault-finding train, as it comes to Lot, as so many have done through the years, as you hear preaching on him. And you might think, well, isn't that what you're doing, Gary? Well, I hope to show you very quickly it's not what I'm doing. Because quite honestly, when I read about Lot, and his decision to go to Sodom, I might um, quickly say foolish, unwise. He knew what that city was, the town was. It was famous for its godlessness, its evil. And yet, folks, I wonder if I would not have likely done the same thing myself. As you ponder a lot this morning, you might have quickly said, he made his decision. He knew it was unwise, probably. He got what he deserved. Are you quick to think that way? Or let me ask you this. Do you in any way, when you read of Lot in these circumstances, um, ask yourself if you perhaps might have done the same thing? And this is what starts to begin to draw us closer to this beautiful thing that I want us to see together. And it's bound up in this truth that as God gives us more and more of his grace, the more that grace enables you and me to see not so much the sins and foolishness of others, but our own. That this grace actually causes you and me to see ourselves in every fool of the Bible. That this grace humbles us and we realize that we wouldn't have listened to Noah either. We would have grumbled and wanted to go back to Egypt. That if I were David, I would have summoned Bathsheba to the palace. And ladies, if you were Bathsheba, you would have went. And that the rooster would have signaled your your denials. And so this morning, if Lot looks foolish to you, you, if you question him and his decision to go to Sodom, then let me just say to you, if he looks foolish to you, then I want you to understand why. It's not because you're smarter than he is. It's not because you're more righteous than he is. The reason that you would see Lot clearly is not found in you whatsoever. For you and I are him if God leaves us to ourselves. And the reason we might see him clearly is because something has been given to us. Something's been done within us by God. And before we go taking too much comfort in the fact that something has been given to us or done in us, we would do well to wonder at ourselves, even currently this very day, at what such fools we are and so ungodly when so much grace has been given to us. Now, here's where this beautiful scene starts to come into view. The the destruction of Sodom itself. We're told in chapter 15 of verse 19 that when morning dawned, the angels urge Lot, up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or you will be swept away in the punishment of the city. 
Now, here we, you and I try to put ourselves there, don't we? Do you do this with your imagination? You're reading the Bible and you're thinking now, okay, I'm in that scene. Um, the angels urge me to leave. Uh, what you and I would quickly want to tell ourselves is, I would have just left. Well, would you have? Because what we're told about Lot is, just two words. He hesitated. Now, you, you, you and I know that Lot know that these two men are not just two men. When they arrived in town and Abraham, uh, excuse me, Lot sees them, we're told he actually goes and bows himself to the ground before them. He, he urges them to come and stay at his house. He prevails upon them and then the godless of that city come pressing at the door. Lot sees these two men strike inhabitants of the city with blindness. He knows this isn't just some Joe and Bill from the town over. And so you would think that as they say, leave, hurry, flee, that he would flee. And yet what we're told is that he hesitated. And I don't stay on Lot long because through him I'm forced to look at myself. That the longer I'm alive and the longer I'm a Christian, the more I wonder at myself. That God has been so very kind to me and gracious through the years, faithful to me, and yet so frequently I sin against him. Warnings that I hear from him in his word directly through his servants that I, that I don't heed. It is, it is in its way hesitating when uh, destruction has been threatened. And yet, it's at this very moment of hesitation that the most beautiful thing can be seen. And here it is. That as Lot hesitates, the angels take him by the hand. And this to me is a picture of, of the great salvation that God has made possible for us. It is a salvation that when we would willingly and readily choose destruction ourselves, that God takes us by the hand. That he determines and purposes that you and I will not perish, though we are quite willing to perish. That we, being, listen, the greatest enemies of our own souls, dear folks, has the grace of God brought you to the place where you realize that the greatest enemy that your soul has is you? It would seem American Christians in particular um, think all the worst things are outside of us and around us. We, we, our eyes are focused on Washington and politicians and, and what they're doing and, and what they're up to. Or, or we might get more spiritual and say, well, it's the devil. The devil's the greatest enemy of my soul. The devil? I don't think he's the greatest enemy of our soul. He, he hates us, no doubt. But the simple truth, dear folks, is that the greatest enemy of your soul can be found in the nearest mirror. That you and I 
are no different from Lot apart from the grace of God. Because you and I, um, well, listen, who, who am I really to blame for my departures from God? Can I say it's a politician's fault that I neglect the things that are best for my soul? Is it really the, is it really the devil's fault that my hunger for news and the internet is voracious? But my hunger for the things that are for the health of my soul, like the word of God and prayer, is paltry. Can I really blame that on someone else? Is that how you would plan to do with God and say, God, um, it's, it's Washington's fault that my desire for your word and prayer is paltry? It's the devil's fault? No. Grace teaches you and me that, that it's me. And here... Here is what makes God's salvation so great. It is a salvation that saves me from me. And let me say to you, if salvation didn't save me from me, it would be no salvation. If the good news doesn't include a salvation that saves me from me, I say this reverently, it isn't good news. If God came to me at a certain point in my life as he did and said, okay, Gary, here's the deal. I, I forgive you for everything that you've done up to this point, but from this point forward, you'll have to keep yourself if you would, if you would be with me eternally. I, I give you a clean slate up till now, but from this point, you, you have to be the one who keeps yourself on the narrow road. You have to be the one who keeps yourself in check. And if you don't from there, then you you're going to perish. I would be inclined to say, Lord, what can I do but thank you for the forgiveness up to today, but Lord, if you leave me to myself, I will certainly perish. I rejoice this morning, and I call you to rejoice this morning in a salvation from a God who knows us well enough to know that we have to be taken by the hand and who's willing to take us by the hand when we would otherwise willingly depart from him and perish. Now, with that said, I hope, it's my, it's my great hope that it causes you to be grateful, that you see this work of God in your own life, that you can in truth say, I'm someone that God has taken by the hand, and I rejoice in the promises of Scripture that um, reflect what the angel says to Lot, because it's beautiful. Listen, the angel says, we can do nothing until you're safe. You just think of the, of the compassion of God who, who, who is saying to Lot, listen, um, we can do nothing. God has determined your safety. It is, it is a thing to rejoice in. And scripture says things similar like, that are like this to you and me um, as Christians, where, where Jesus gives us promises that if we are his, we will never perish, and that no one can snatch us out of his hand or the Father's hand. It's a thing to rejoice in, a sure salvation that we are in hand by God. And yet, um, Scripture does with this story the thing that it does so often when it gives us promises and assurances. 
it warns us. There's a dilemma with this story. It didn't, I had to go back to it and, and, and read the details again because, um, well, listen, let me ask you, what, what's, the, what's the difficulty with everything I've said up till now? This salvation that's so great that it takes us in hand and it assures us that we'll be saved. What's the difficulty with the story? Is it not Lot's wife? And listen, as I was thinking on the story before I went back to read it, I said, oh my goodness, wait a minute, I got it. there's Lot's wife, so I'm going to make this point that there's this great salvation and God takes us by the hand and saves us by himself, uh, you know, from ourselves. And then there's Lot's wife, and so I thought, well, I think maybe what the story said was that the angel took Lot by the hand, and then I had my way out. I was going to say, well, listen, the Bible just says he just, the angel just took Lot by the hand, and so it was just God's uh, promise to him individually. And then I went and I read the narrative, and I was like, oh, that messed that up. Because what the story tells us is that the, the, the men not only took Lot by the hand, they took his daughters and his wife by the hand. And though Lot's wife was taken by the hand, she perishes. You say, well, wait a minute. Doesn't this, <laughs> doesn't this ruin it all? You, know, you got a lady taken by the hand and um, you're talking about a salvation that's determined to save us despite ourselves and she looks back and she perishes. And yet, dear people, this is the truth um, of God's word really from beginning to end, that even as God holds before you and me promises and assurances and safety as it comes to his salvation, it, it, it's almost never without a warning. And you might go as far as to say that God's promises and assurances are almost always couched in warnings. And so when you look at the passage, it tells us, um, yes, the angel says we can do nothing until you're safe. And yet at the same time, we're told that the angel says escape for your life. Don't look behind you. Don't stay anywhere in the valley or you'll be swept away. So wait a minute, you're, you're telling me um, my safety's guaranteed and yet you're telling me to be careful or I'll be swept away. Am I safe or not? And the answer quite simply is, yes, you're safe if you shut your mouth and do what I tell you to. And so, dear folks, the God who made salvation possible for you and me, the God who's salvation is to the uttermost. The God who may well have taken you in hand already and pledged himself to you and your salvation is also the God who warns you and me to flee from the wrath to come. Hebrews chapter 12, see that you do not refuse him who speaks for if they did not refuse, uh, if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven. And dear folks, let me just say it to you this way. If I can, we might do this as a spiritual checkup and put the thermometer under your, the spiritual thermometer under your spiritual tongue. If I were to say to you, do you believe God has taken you by the hand to save you? You, you believe this has happened with you? I would hope you'd also say, yes, I, I, I know God has shown me truth. I know that God is doing a work in my life. 
I know that he's taken hold of me. Well, let me just say to you that the great proof that you've been taken in hand is that you have within you a holy fear as it comes to your salvation. Listen, God doesn't give you and me assurances so that you and I might be presumptuous. God doesn't uh, pledge safety to you and me. This, this is how sinful you and I are. You might think that our great sins are all behind us, but the simple truth is that our worst sins are committed when we're Christians. And you know why? Because the sins that we commit as Christians are sins against knowledge and truth and mercy and grace. And heaped up upon perhaps all of them, and the worst of our sins as Christians is the sin of presumption. The sin that when God tells me I'm safe, then uh, opens the doorway for my sinful heart to say, well, if I'm safe, then I can trifle. I can, I can pitch my tent in Sodom. Dear folks, this earth is Sodom. And you and I have to think very carefully about the degree to which our tents are pitched in this wickedness. And how inclined you and I are to say, how, how, how close to danger can I get without actually being in danger? Or to presume if I go over into sin, God will take me by the hand. God never gives you and me assurances and promises that they might lead to presumption. He couches them in warnings so that you and I might understand that he is the God who is to be feared. That salvation might be precious to us. Dear folks, I, I trust you're all saved. My assumption is in a group this size, not all of you are. But I want to ask you this morning, is your salvation precious to you? Do, you? do you sit here this morning fresh in your heart and mind with the fact that God has been merciful to you, that he's, he's rescued you when you would have willingly been damned yourself if he had left you to yourself? And even as you have before you the promise of heaven, do you hear the rumblings behind you? Because listen, folks, there is a wrath to come that makes Sodom and Gomorrah look like a backyard campfire. And you and I are in the midst of this world. We, we are in Sodom, as it were. And I can, listen, you're sewn from the same cloth I am. Certainly there are ways in which you and I are trifling with God. Ways in which you and I are not valuing our eternal souls. Ways in which we're being presumptuous, just, just assuming that God will always come and take us by the hand. I rejoice to preach in a God whose salvation takes me by the hand would have you and me understand that that God is also the God who is to be feared and who commands you and me to flee from the wrath to come. And so, listen, you're in this world, but what I want to know is are you fleeing even as you're here? Away from all the, the things that would take you from God and, and do harm to your soul, 
If he's taken you in hand, then clasp that hand tightly. Take hold of that hand and clasp it tightly and flee the wrath to come. Pray with me, would you? God, we look to you now. Having you held before us in the, the life of Lot, seeing ourselves in him, our own sinfulness and foolishness, how we thank you that you are the God who takes us by the hand, the God who purposes to save us even when we would be willing to perish. God, we praise you and thank you, and as we do, we also come to you and pray that you would create within us a great sense of not only gratitude but holy fear, that we, Lord, would not be presumptuous as it comes to your mercies and your kindness, that we would be men and women and boys and girls who are careful to listen to you and your word and those that you place around us who speak truth to us. Lord, that you would cause your grace to be fulfilled in us, that you would bring us through this Sodom safely into your presence. In Jesus' name, amen.